So usually it has something to do with responsibility, having a value system, um, having clear vision and purpose for your life, and generally making your life about everything outside of you and trusting that you'll be taken care of and, and that, your, that your needs are already met. You don't have to worry about someone else taking care of your needs. Jetty Azuma is the founder of the Rising Man Movement, a movement that he hopes to inspire other men in becoming leaders, warriors, conscious men, kings, doing whatever it takes kind of men. I had the privilege of sitting down with him and talking to him about what he hears when he speaks with men on his podcast, in his growing and expanding network of men's circles, and in his own personal life. What's the difference between being a boy and a man? What's the difference between being a conscious man and a man who is asleep to his own purpose? These are more than just concepts for Jetty. Jetty is a leader in his field who's hoping to inspire us, who's hoping to push men to the next stage. Beyond that, he's also a man who's rising himself. In this wonderful podcast, we get to know Jetty. We get to know exactly what he's about and where he wants to take not just himself, but us along for the ride. I hope you listen. This is Lost Man Standing. Maybe you could tell me what you think is going on. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain. But you feel it. You felt it your entire life. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. This life's hard, man, but it's harder if you're stupid. I've been around, you know. There was a time I could see, and I have seen, but there is nothing like the sight of an amputated spirit. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Today, woo, I've got the style and profile like never before to be the man you gotta beat the man, and I'm saying, woo, right here, I'm the man. Hey, 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 welcome, Last Men Standing, to the holiday edition of this podcast. God, you're needy bitches. You are. You are. I've had so many of you reach out and say, where the hell are you? Why aren't you on the air? Why aren't you talking to us? Why aren't, why aren't you making new content? Believe me, I have been making new content. Don't you worry your pretty little heads about new content. That's something I've been doing in spades. I just haven't been giving it to you. I've been sitting on it. I've been hoarding it. I've been hiding it away. Uh, I'm tired of being a dragon. I'm tired of being a dragon and hoarding things, so I'm going to start to dump it on you. And this holiday podcast is 
I might add. One of the ways I'm going to be doing just that. There's so much to catch up on. There's so much to catch up on, and I'm hesitant to do so. I'm hesitant to do so because I know that you negative Nancys out there are going to hear this, and you're going to say, okay, great podcast with Jetty Azuma. Great podcast with Jetty. Just skip to, to minute 59 before you get started. The first 58 minutes are filler. The first 58 minutes are just fluff. It's just the, the irrelevant host talking about his shtick. And it's a great shtick, by the way. Let's talk about that, huh? This, this content that I am laying forward, that I am dropping onto you, is solid golden shit. Okay? So you can skip to minute 59 if you want. But you will have missed the golden goose, my friend. The golden goose is upon you. <sighs> All right, enough, enough self-adulation. Man, man, I, I, here's what happened, in all honesty. I was pushing so hard to get to our first Embody retreat. And, uh, and, and then we got there, and I recorded another couple of podcasts. I was able to connect with some more men and, uh, we just had such a fantastic time. And then I was wiped and I got home and feeling jubilant, feeling triumphant. And then I got hit. I got hit by a wall of resistance twofold relationally. And then financially like took two big hits right in a row. I mean, so intense. And so, you know, like those resistance lines, they increase and you're like, oh my God, what am I doing? Uh, I just had this amazing experience and then I got the wind kicked out from me. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, like you take a step forward in life and then you just, you, you get shoved back two to 10 steps? I feel like that all the time. I actually used to even say one of my mottos was one shot of happy, two shots of sad, you know, like a drinking game in life, because that's how it feels sometimes. I mean, if I'm honest and really, I was riding such a high wind from the first embody retreat that we had. I mean, wow, 15 men in this immersive experience that was designed not just to give answers but literally create better questions and in so doing open up possibilities to men in everyday life that had before seemed totally closed out for them because because if if we're honest and this is this is the singular idea behind embody men need the ability to imagine those new possibilities right to to blow open their relationships to give them and provide them with the deep sense of purpose and possibility, opportunity, while raising the standard of what's been. So, you know, 15 to 20 men stepped into that experience. We sold out our first retreat. It was absolutely incredible. I mean, I saw men considering their values in ways they hadn't before, confronting just their deepest fears, experiencing the fullness of who they really are and not backing down, not hiding away. 
And that's what I believe men do when they begin to attend to the sacred masculine and integrate their shadow. They connect with one another. They connect with the earth. They connect with the time we find ourselves in. And that's what I saw. I saw men who were playing full out. Then one man said it this way, and I, I love it. He said, brotherhood is what I was born for, and now I know it's possible. Because the truth is we need tribe to inspire us, to kick our ass, to support us as we do the work of being alive. And, and man, I, I watched that at Embody. Such a cool location. Um, I saw Orca, actually one of the co-facilitators, Travis Stribb, who we've, we've actually had on this podcast before, and, and we'll have him again. He was swimming buck-ass naked in the, the cold water of the Puget Sound when I saw a humpback whale do a dive no more than 15 feet from him. So cool. And uh, like I said, we saw orca, we saw humpback whale, bald eagles flying overhead, little harbor seals. It was magical. I think every man who was there would attest to that. Uh, it was certainly something that I, I've just, you know, when something comes together that is greater than the sum of its parts, that that really was how it was in this particular experience for me. Um, and... I, I got to witness uh, men experiencing radical change. There were there were psychologists there. There were you know white collar professionals. There were everyday dudes. Um, and over and over, the feedback that we were getting was that this was one of the most transformational experiences that that they had had. I mean, I'm just going to read to you uh, what a couple of the men had sent in. I, I, I love this. One guy said, wow, what an amazing adventure in embodiment practice and shadow work. It was intense, yet safe and powerful. I'm truly honored to have been part of this work. I have no regrets at all for taking time out and attending. The facilitators did a fantastic job holding space for a group of very different men. They didn't hold back, and that meant that everyone else was able to participate fully. Love that. Another man said this. He said, he said, I spent decades going to men's retreats that promised authenticity, renewal, and brotherhood. What all those so often failed to deliver on, embody surpassed. It didn't hold back. It engaged my body, my heart, and my mind in ways that had me walking more freely in my own skin, another man said, the weekend changed my view of what it means to be a man, and I now walk a little taller among my brothers, knowing I belong. Holy shit. not that awesome? I love it when you knock the ball out of the park. My co-facilitators, Travis Stribb, who led the embodiment uh, portion of so much of this, uh, practicing kundalini yoga, tai chi, qigong, and a variety of other uh, embodied modalities. My co-facilitator, Ryan Lee Sharp, um, who led so much of the identity pieces, as well as bringing the full arc of what we were doing into, um, into reality, and then led um, the, the plant medicine journey. 
what an incredible time and, and opportunity to watch other people who have mastered their art um, work work together. This was so cool. A full house of men who were all working together to make an experience happen. I am just profoundly grateful to have been a part of that. So that that was in November. Actually, we we released dates for the next one. Um, and already, guys, pulling the trigger to, to do this. This is really cool. February 21 through 23, same amazing location, Hartstein Island, Washington. This is the Pacific Northwest for those of you who haven't been here. What an incredible space. Um, and we certainly have the corner on the market in just location, location, location. And um, February 21 through 23, you can go to embodymensretreat.com, embodymensretreat.com to integrate your shadow, discover your identity, and embody your purpose. Actually, there's not many spaces left. Um, Like I told one guy, I've got like 25 guys looking at 10 different spots, and they're all like, oh, I'm going to pull the trigger any minute now. And... Here's my thing. Like, if they all pull the trigger at once, you're going to have like 15 pissed off dudes on the wait list for the next time. Um, don't wait. If this is you, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, man, this is something that I feel drawn to, it, it sounds scary. It sounds a little confusing. It sounds exciting. It sounds like this could be my opportunity to see more of myself. And, and integrate more of what I have ignored in my life in order to become more confident, a leader, a father, a husband, um, or just a man in the world, I encourage you to do it, seriously. Um, we don't run ads or anything, but this is as close as it gets for me. And, and I just want to say, like, this is, this is something that it's, it's not about making money for me. This is about literally birthing some kind of intense and deeply spiritual element into the world where we become fully and deeply ourselves in relationship to the here and now as men. And I am so excited to put this out into reality. So if this is you, if you're thinking about this, I encourage you, come along do it. Do it. All right. What else has been going on? Yeah, it's been so interesting. I've, I've continued to draw my own focus and attention to, to the things that I am, am believing are really the sticking points for so many of us. You know, Carl Jung, that, that, that great innovator, the, 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 the person who really helped us learn about archetypal psychology, and he was much more of a contemporary shaman than anything, he, um, he suggested that even though we have all of these subjective and collective archetypes, the three ones where people get hung up the most are the masculine-feminine principle, those two archetypes, either the masculine or the feminine, and the shadow. And, and, you know, we think of the shadow a lot and we think, oh, God, can't wait to get rid of my shadow. And I get it. Um, that is certainly something integrating our shadow, confronting those unconfronted places and beginning to draw on new resources that we didn't even know we had because it was that energy was just getting tapped and hung up by our shadow. I get it. That That's where mostly our attention goes when we think about wanting to change. But these deep wounds, the wounds of the masculine, the wounds of the feminine, 
they're they're ones that we have to become aware of. Because here's the thing: if we're not engaged in healing the wound of the masculine, the wound of the feminine archetypes within, you're just not accessing your whole self, and it's costing you. I think in reality, for me, for years, my conscious wounding was with the masculine. That, that's hard to say. But I was raised by very powerful women. My mother, very powerful woman. I mean, I'm still terrified of her. She's all of five foot two. And I get around her and I, I, I shrink. I'm, I'm scared of her. <laughs> and my sister, my sister is a very powerful woman in the world, very public person and, and uh, strong, a, a great leader, very strong, dominant women. And it was actually the men in my life I felt disconnected to. You know, unlike, I think, the stereotypical picture of the toxic masculine that is, is raised in kind of this musclehead beefcake uh, culture, I was raised by she-wolves. You know, I, I, was, I idolized the men in my life, certainly. My grandfathers, my dad, my brother, I idolized them. But they were distant, I was disconnected from them. My father was out chasing dragons, being a, a, a great white knight, and, and my brother was having his own struggles. He's a decade older than me and didn't have a lot of time for me. And that left me to draw on the incredible, empathetic, networked, relational, and emotive resources of strong, powerful feminine. And eventually, I, I came to fear mannishness. I avoided the rituals that men participate in, you know, like sports. And it was crazy. I, I would move different high schools and I would I would end up, you know, walking into a new high school my first day of school and the football coach would look at me, the six foot three, 200 pound kid walking in and the, the, he's eyeing me going, oh, great, my new linebacker. And I'm like, no way, no way, because I don't want to be a part of mannish culture, right? What I knew to be, though, was the sensitive shoulder to cry on, that, that, that artistic, empathetic, networked, emotive man. I was the soft man. I was a man that women could trust. But in reality, here's the thing. I, I, I was a danger because I lacked focus. I lacked assertiveness. I lacked loyalty. I lacked connection to my inner masculine core. And it left me operating in shadowy ways, I think, the ways that, that often left people hurt or even confused. I had to learn some pretty damn hard lessons about that imbalance. I had to, to, to be confronted by forms of feedback that were impossible for me to ignore. And, uh, and that confrontation to this imbalance created a spiritual journey that put me in contact with the inner masculine again because I found that I had allowed myself to move um, in very passive ways. And so by shifting my energy to become less passive, more assertive, more spacious, more decisive, I found that not only could I trust myself, but others could too. So, I mean, here's the deal. Whether it's the masculine or feminine principle that's being overemphasized in you, there's really a deep need for balance because when we find that place of connecting the two and being able to access either one in a time of need, we find that we're functioning again in our fullest capacity. 
that requires work. And for me, it's a daily challenge. I'm conscious about it. I don't always get it right because the wounds are so deep that, that if we're not aggressive in our care for them, we actually flounder again. And the great news is it gets easier over time, though. So the more time you put in, the more practice you put in, the, the more the patterns become clearer. The conditioning is easier to see, and balance starts to be possible again. That's one of the incredible things about, about practicing the spiritual discipline of being fully and deeply alive. I think as men, it's important to know that, that when we're connecting to the sacred masculine, even though we're connecting with those parts that are focused, that are determined, that are aggressive, that are assertive, that are active, it's not all torque. It's not all muscle. The sacred masculine is also finesse. It's also tenderness. And I think a lot of men I interact with get stuck in that same trap that, that, that I do. You know, we keep banging our head against the same wall over and over and over trying to knock it down. Guess what? The wall's not going anywhere. It just is leaving me with a bloody stump of a head. Hey, force of will is good. It's going to take me places. But in my experience with, with both the world and the feminine part, we have to call that balance into our own masculine, right? We have to have a degree of softness. Even though there's the other side, which is focus and challenge and resoluteness. And I think as men connected to the masculine, part of how we muscle our way through the world is that disconnection between our head and our heart. It's either, you know, this feeling thing or it's this logic thing and we get trapped in that pendulum swinging from one extreme to the other. But it's not an either or. Cultivating strength is significant, but so is cultivating subtlety. Developing endurance is so needed but so too is learning how to name your emotions. This is why I'm really calling for balance again. This balance between the masculine and feminine. Are you all muscle and torque? Or are you a finely tuned and tightly wound energy? Where do you need to grow? Because to become very natural again means to learn some parts of yourself that need to get cut away. Some that need to get emphasized in new ways. It requires feeling a little unnatural, a little awkward until you discover those lost elements again. We have to find them. We have to find balance. We have to be more than torque, more than elegance. We have to be it all. <sighs> if you're a man who is looking to find balance, oh, I want to encourage you to connect with me. I would love to hear from you. Either you can reach out to me on my website, evolvingwild.live. You can connect to me, Rainier Wild, on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. I would love for you to, to take a journey of actually connecting that polarity, that, that place of balance. Also, it's important to talk about relationships. We've got to begin to talk about the connection of the masculine and the feminine again. It is so profoundly important, you know, because the truth is the feminine needs our help, men. She really does. Um, we have to, to remember that, that she is creating 
her form in relationship to the space we hold for her. So that, that may not make sense to you, but, but the feminine's creative force is birthed within the solidity of our presence. And if we're diminished and unresponsive to the realities that are concerning her, she's going to feel ungrounded. She desires to feel that, that balanced presence. She longs to sense that compassion. Ah, this isn't an invitation to, to solve the feminine here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about seeing reality as it is. I'm talking about allowing yourself to become balanced, to actually bring your full self to bear. <sighs> all right, all right, reach out. Reach out if that's something that you know you need to do. Now, here's the deal. Things are changing in the new year. I'm, I'm actually decreasing the number of opportunities and focusing, honing all of my efforts on these core issues, addressing relational polarity between the masculine and the feminine, actually helping men address their unacknowledged shadow, and then continuing to facilitate embodiment retreats around the nation and the world. And boy, I've got some really, really amazing ones coming this year. I want to begin to work directly with you. And if that's something you're thinking about, reach out to me. Reach out to me. Man, again, sometimes I feel like the pretty girl at the bar. Like, oh, she'll never be interested. I shouldn't go over and talk to her. Dude, reach out. Seriously. All right. What else? What else? Any other unfinished business? Hey, I know you've been waiting patiently. I know that you have been waiting so patiently for new podcasts, new lost men standing to come out. I've got some great ones. Dallas Hartwig, co-founder of The Whole 30. Dan Doty, founder of Everyman. Joel DeJong, master of play and the crowdsourced choir in Seattle. And my wonderful friend, Nick Allen. Nick coming your way. Such a good man. Can't wait for you to hear him. What else? What else? Oh, yeah. I have a really cool interview coming up. Um, this one is kind of interesting, and uh, I don't even know if I should tell you about it. Okay, I'll tell you about it. Robert Kendall. Uh, he is such an interesting dude. Um, Rob has done just so much including helping found One Taste as well as now working with men directly. So these are some interviews that we've got coming your way, as well as the opportunities to reach me. I would definitely get on to EvolvingWild.live right now. If there are things that you have not read in our articles, if there are podcasts you have not listened to, if there are opportunities you have not taken, get on there and let's do it. All right. I know this is shorter than 51 minutes. Sorry to disappoint you, friends. I'm sorry, okay? I know that you were looking forward to, to 58 or, or so minutes of me, me, me. Eh, we might be close. Who knows? All right. Without further ado, I'm so excited to unleash Jetty Azuma, the rising man, directly your way. Peace out. Happy holidays. <laughs> Thank you.
Jetty, you're coming off the winds of uh, your most recent event and leading men in, is, is it the Hakka? Is that, is that what it's called? It is the Hakka, man. The uh. sacred Maori ceremonial war dance, man. It was uh, an incredible, incredible weekend, man. I'm looking looking forward to having you at the next one. We're planning on going all the way up and down the western seaboard. So Seriously? Yeah. Coming to a city nearby you. <laughs> oh, I hope so. How did that come about? Like, How, how did this start? Like, t- Tell me about this. I'm so new to it. Yeah. Um, well, the, the very beginning was the first time I ever saw the haka on a video. Mm. I don't remember how it came into my awareness, but I saw it and I just started bawling. Mm. Just to, 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 for anyone who's listening that hasn't seen the haka, just go to YouTube, type in haka, H-A-K-A, and see the first thing that shows up and just watch it. And for me as a man, especially I was around 24, 25 years old when I first saw it, it just moved me so much to see grown men expressing themselves in such an instinctual and primal way Hmm. but with the command of their energy that was just completely foreign to me i'd never seen it so that's like five six years ago over the course of that time i became more familiar with the haka what it's about and my, my my appreciation for indigenous culture and ancient practices led me to see that this could be a really useful tool uh not just for myself but for other men who also have a hard time expressing themselves and so when I met Leon, who uh, Leon Ruri, who's the, the, the man from, um, he's from New Zealand, but lives in Australia that I connected with, who came out here. Um, I, I saw a video of him performing it in, 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 as a stand against male suicide. Hmm. And, and I had the same visceral response of, of just starting to cry and just feeling like tingles in my body. And so uh, I, I knew that we had to figure out a way to bring that medicine here. And... Um, all of the men, there's so many men who don't know how to express ourselves that way. Me, myself included. Mm. You know, I think I think that if, if I went out in the street right now and did a haka, there's some people that think I was really fucking crazy, you know? Um, <laughs> but I think that's like I think that's an essential dysfunction of our society is mm. that we don't have the freedom or the spaces or the practices to express masculine energy in its full entire power. So um, so yeah, that's that's some of the history, some of the, wow. the backstory behind it. So this is a, a Maori uh, tribal dance or, or set of embodied movements? Yeah. So it, it can be performed for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, back in old times, you know, old tribal times, it was typically used as a challenge uh, mm-hmm. where, where two, two different tribes, if one was going to challenge the other to battle, they would perform the haka first. And what I was told by Leon and my bro, Jamie Schuster, the two Maori guys that came out to help us out, they said that sometimes the haka that one tribe performed was so powerful and compelling that there wasn't any need for battle. It was just like, hey, you guys win. <laughs> you know, so so it's um, so that that's that's where it started. And now you see hakas being performed for all different types of reasons, honoring at a funeral, uh, welcoming somebody, uh, an esteemed guest from outside of, you know, outside of that land. All different types of reasons, um, not, not not too much for battle anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but there but, is a warrior energy to it, yeah. I mean that that's still oh, yeah. there. Well, and that's the thing is that we live in we live in a time where not all men are needed to be traditional warriors. Mm-hmm. We don't need to put on our physical suit of armor and grab our sword or our weapon and go out and, and protect our family in in that sense. Mm-hmm. But. I believe, and I know we've talked about this before, and we had a conversation and we were jamming on it, that there's still a sacred 
part of our masculine energy that lives in us that if we don't tap into it or use it, it sort of festers and withers away. Mm. So it's that, that, like you said, that warrior essence that we all have that capacity to go out and provide for our families, to protect our families, to create safe places for our people. It just looks differently. We're not dressed up in armor in the physical sense, but we still, we still wear it in mm. the metaphorical sense. Yeah. You know, it's interesting hearing that word warrior. I, I recently uh, had an interview with um, the author of the book, The Way of Men, Jack Donovan, and he made an interesting comment about being a warrior. I asked him about his own history, and he, he told me how, uh, you know, he had never been in the military, which I actually had assumed he had for some reason. And, yeah. and he said, I'm very careful not to use the word warrior because I've never been to war. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was interesting. We didn't really get into it at the time, but I, I feel like along with you, there are different ways of being at war, right? And it feels mm-hmm. like one thing that's happening right now is that men are at war with themselves. Do you get mm-hmm. that sense too? Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you mention that because I took a couple jabs on social media from veterans. I assume them to be veterans. They never outwardly said that, mm-hmm. but insinuated that, Hey guy, you don't know anything about warriors because mm. you have you ever been to war? And you know, I was straight up like, no, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't been to battle. I haven't. Haven't done been in armed combat before. Um, but that's not my definition of a warrior. Mm. And we can have a dialogue about what that is. But why why get lost in that? Why why miss out on what we're actually saying here? That real men in different capacities are fighting battles every day. And I've sat in circle with guys who were trained killers, guys who have gone to battle, that have gone out and killed, like elite alpha red type dudes. And for them to stand in front of a circle of 20 other guys and share that they were sexually abused as a child, they said that was harder than anything that they did in the military before. So I've never been to battle. I've never killed someone. I've never had to protect my family with a weapon before. Hope I never have to. Mm. Uh, but, But I think that there is still a warrior essence that we embody we just don't happen to live in a in a warring society in 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 wartime where it's like in our backyards Mm. it was interesting hearing you you say this because i suddenly felt this deep appreciation for who i'm talking to right now and Mm. and part of what i mean is you're a man who talks to other men weekly i'm guessing as you record for your podcast sometimes daily in a week what are you learning about what it means to be a man as a listener to other men? <laughs> so much. Um, I've done, I think I've done 88, 88 interviews of men from all different types of backgrounds to this point. Mm. Um, a couple of them duplicates, but we'll say 80. Mm. And I, the essential thing that I've learned is that every man has his own definition of what it means to be a man. Mm. There are some similarities We're we're not that unique in the sense that the details of your story may be a little bit different than mine, but we can relate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can relate to what you're going through, especially if we look at more of a surface level, hu- husband, father, provider, business owner, just that alone creates so much connection. And the rest is just filler. Mm. The rest is just the, the plot line. So I, I, it's, it, I've also realized that it's a question when I ask, other men, Mm -hmm. uh, what it means to be a man to them, or what's the difference between a boy and a man. There are some similar answers. And there's also a lot of different perspectives on that, too. What are some outliers that you've heard, like, the most outlandish, like, what does it mean? 
uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I think that men have a lot to say about that. And they're, and every time I ask that question, they're trying to reduce it to the simplest component. Mm. So I don't think of it as there's any outliers. I haven't had any, anybody say something that just really surprised me, <laughs> but I'm always interested in what they point to first. Hmm. Uh, one of the most, on, on, you know, the contrary of what you said, one of the most common responses is that a man is somebody who takes responsibility for everything in his life. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and, and a boy is someone who, who doesn't, who's still adventuring, who's still exploring, who thinks the world is in service to him. Mm-hmm. So that was it. That was interesting to me that men from different backgrounds with different contexts for what it means to be a man came to a similar conclusion. Mm. Um, so usually it has something to do with responsibility, having a value system, um, having clear vision and purpose for your life, and generally making your life about everything outside of you and mm. trusting that you'll be taken care of. And, and that, that your needs are already met. You don't have to worry about someone else taking care of your needs. Hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, that, nobody's really shocked me yet. I, I'm, I'm always waiting for the, wait, what did you say? Yeah, like the one-off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's been a couple that I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. But uh, yeah, nothing too shocking yet. We need to, I need to like send you a list of people who will provide that entertainment <laughs> value for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what are, I mean, have you asked a similar question and gotten a, a strange response or an unusual response? You know, I, I, I'm actually thinking of one particular guy uh, who I didn't, I don't know if I asked that direct question, but just the overall feel was one, I actually even couldn't even air the episode. And, and I might add, not because of him. It was 100% because I was so flummoxed by his presentation of manhood that I literally disappeared from the conversation. I, I just evaporated. I did not know what to say. He was like a character in someone else's novel, and he came mm. on really strong. Um, it was like he was very homophobic. He was very, um, like, not just heteronormative, but like like just the most aggressive presentations of some version of masculinity that I just, I don't interact with. It was really interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's revealing. I think it's revealing if if the outliers who have a perspective on masculinity that we haven't heard of when mm-hmm. we've asked so many different guys the same type of question. Yeah, uh, the outliers, I believe, I bet I bet there's something there for that, that guy. You know, I don't, we don't need to go into that, but I'm I bet there was something there for him that he didn't feel comfortable owning what his version of masculinity really is. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, anybody who hates people because of a belief system that's not a man to me. Yeah. I don't think there's any reason to hate anybody for their belief system, you know, so that 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 immediately throws off some some red flags for me. Totally. It's a bizarre thing. But I'm glad that you actually brought this up, because, again, I I know who I'm I know who I'm talking to. And part of this is and I've been on other I've been on your show, actually, and I've been interviewed by others. There's, there's a different function to answering questions about your life as opposed to asking men about theirs. So I, I, I'd mm. like to turn the spotlight on, onto you right now. Um, awesome. Because, you know, Nietzsche said that, that every point of view is a view from a point. So I really want to ask you, mm. what's the context that's shaped you? Like, where did you come from? What, what upbringing <laughs> created who you are today? I, I just want you so to good. elaborate on that. Yeah, uh, it's it's great because I've noticed that I, I've been, I guess the first time I was interviewed and someone really was interested in my story enough to do that was probably three, four years ago. Hmm. 
And uh, every time I get asked that question, it's I have a different answer because there's mm -hmm. so much history. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm 32 years old. Anybody who's made it to this point in their life, you've gone through some things that have shaped who you are. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I don't care who you are. I don't care how privileged you were. If you lived a very privileged life, then you're probably fucked up because you lived a very privileged life yeah. and you never had to go through challenge or adversity. And if you went through a really tough upbringing, then that speaks for itself. Mm. Um, so the one that came up for me first when you asked what shaped me uh, is, is the memory that my, my mom had breast cancer when I was nine years old. Mm. And um, I've got an older brother, 10 years older than me, and a younger brother, six years younger. And it was the first time I faced off with the fact that I might lose a parent. Uh, I was wow. very attached to my mom at that point in my life because my dad was the classic stoic businessman, you know, always, always out, always out working, always out, you know, taking care of the family, doing what he needed to do. And not much really changed when my mom got cancer mm -hmm. other than, um, you know, now my dad was taking care of my mom as well. So it was really a communal effort to raise me at nine years old. My mom was in the hospital. My mom was going in for, she had every type of treatment you possibly could go through. Unfortunately, she made it, but she wasn't really available to me for about a year and a half of my life at nine years old. Hmm. So during wow. weekdays, I was going to friends' houses, um, you know, fr friends that up until this point, our parents were just acquaintances because me and my friends, they, they would, we would go over each other's houses and they, they knew each other, but this was really like a community that banded around us. We, I grew up in a small town and they saw the need for, for them, for people to step in. So I was, I was staying at a different friend's house every day. Their family was feeding me. They were letting me sleep over some nights when my dad had to be in the hospital with my mom after a treatment. And so it planted a seed in me that we don't do this by ourselves. We're not meant to do this by ourselves when everywhere else around me, I was looking and there was, there was families. I grew up in New Jersey. So there's, there's like a lot of Italian and Irish families out there. So they, they still do the family thing, even though they all talk up shit about each other behind each other's backs. Um, but it's, but it was, it was different. It was, it was very unique, you know, like friends, non-blood related showing up for each other in that way. It, it definitely left an imprint on me because by the time I got to college, that's what I was always seeking out was, mm. was community. I wanted to be around people. I, when I was walking home uh, in college, I would call up somebody from my dorm and just say, hey, what's going on? How was your day? What's you know, I wanted to connect so deeply. And they're like, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm only two minutes away. They're like, why don't you just come talk to me when you get mm -hmm. home? And I, I, just, I felt a deep desire to connect with people. And that's been the through line through my whole life mm -hmm. to where I am now, 32-year-old man. And my greatest mission is to become a steward of land where I can raise my children together with my closest friends and brothers and sisters and really, hmm. really create a foundation of culture that we never had growing up for our children, mm -hmm. you know, and to, and to, to be on the front lines of that. Cause I think that that's what they're going to need mm -hmm. when they're our age or when my children are grandparents mm -hmm. to have something strong to lean on when the world goes wherever it will. That's so fascinating hearing you say, because I, I think that you and I talked about initiation when I was on your show. And, you know, I, I think that one of the aspects of tribal initiation, which I know that you also focus on at times, um, is, is men being initiated into a tribe. But the more I've thought about that, that concept, and even recently this has been troubling me, is that for them, that was actually a totalizing way of life they were initiated into. It, it wasn't just a, a weekly men's group. Mm -hmm. You know, 
can there be a true initiation without a total life overhaul or being inducted into that that kind of lived out communal experience that you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, well, I think there's a distinction that needs to be made mm. because if there's a lot of people who are using the word initiation yeah. because that's what a lot of us in our heart of hearts are, are seeking. Mm -hmm. But an initiation is not a, a three-day weekend workshop. <laughs> It's not. It's 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 more what? along the lines of what you said. <laughs> it's it's really not. It can be a three day experience, but sure. the purpose of initiation is to help a child cross the threshold into adulthood. Mm -hmm. At least at least this type of initiation that mm -hmm. I'm interested in and I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And part of that journey means you're no longer the responsibility of the village. You're taking responsibility for the village. Mm -hmm. And so like you said, that's not something you go and do a workshop and then you walk away from the village. Like if, I'm at, let's, let's put it, let's put it in real, a yeah. real clear picture. If, if a village went through raising a boy for the first 10, 12, 13 years of his life, and then they had this huge initiation ritual for him, celebration, feast afterwards. <laughs> and they, you know what they did, whatever their, their custom was. And then he said, all right, guys, see you later. Have Peace a good out. life. <laughs> Peace. Then they'd be like, Oh, what the heck was that about? Why, why, why? We invested all this time in raising you yeah. and giving you the values that you need because we need you now. Mm. That's really what is what is missing here. And, and we're, we're getting closer to it. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a lot more communities and people who are, arranging themselves around belief systems and traditions and values, but we're still so separate. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's the irony of our time is that we have all the technology to be connected to people anywhere in the world, but we're not connected to our neighbors, mm -hmm. we're not even connected to our families or our elders yeah. or our children. You know, we put our elders in nursing homes and we put our children in preschool hmm. and we don't talk to our neighbors. We barely talk to our wives. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it, all you have to do is look at, at, the, at one of my mentors told me that if you want to know a people, look at how they treat their elders and how they treat their children. Wow. It tells you everything that you need to know about, about a people. I, I want to get to you as a father, mm -hmm. but before I do, I, I do want to go back to that concept of initiation because I, I really believe that life is actually a steady series of initiations, at least if we're truly listening and a series of waking up. And I guess, again, I want to ask you very, very specifically in your own life contexts, what are some of those informal initiations that you've been a part of? Fatherhood, for one. That's mm -hmm. a good segue into what you want to talk about. <laughs> I, I often speak about the moment my son was born. I, I think you and I actually related to this on our last mm -hmm. conversation, but the moment my son was born, I felt a cellular shift in my body hmm. where I really, really felt it's not just about me anymore. Hmm. I will do anything for this boy. So um, that to me is an initiation, um, committing my life to partnership with my wife. Hmm. So marriage, mm -hmm. uh, at least the way that I hold marriage and partnership was an initiation. Hmm. I chose to leave my family and my community and everything that I knew and everybody who knew me uh, back in New Jersey, New York hmm. to come to travel West and that was sort of what I would call what I would call an auto initiation. I didn't have any mentors sending me off or any any elders that were watching me in the process. I was received by elders on the other side, but I was kind of taking that leap of faith yeah. by myself. So some of those, you know, I would also say that having any significant life experience, like I, I had a really severe back injury two years ago. Mm. Uh, that 
that was definitely uh, somewhat of an initiation, maybe more, maybe less of an initiation and more of a rite of passage yeah. is kind of the word I would use, you know, that um, a rite of passage is, is a death and a rebirth. Yes. So in, in that term, you know, I, I was, I was letting go of, I was releasing some physical, mental, emotional stuff in my body in exchange for what was on the other side of that threshold. A lot of men talk about, about those rites of passages, but specific to pain. Do you think that pain is, um, in maybe the stories that you've heard in your own life experience, do you feel like there's any teacher quite comparable to pain? In <laughs> I mean, uh, one of my mentors, he says it all the time. He's, he's an old guy now, so he says it too much, but he says that, uh, you know, pain is, pain is inevitable. Suffering mm -hmm. is a choice. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that pain is, is part of, it's part of our life journey. Mm -hmm. It's, it's what we make pain out to be. And the meaning we we subscribe to it or ascribe to it, that is is our choice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think pain is an incredible teacher. I, I, it, it certainly taught me a lot. Um, mm -hmm. It still teaches me a lot, and that's not just physical pain either. I'm talking about mental, emotional pain. The I don't know where to go with my life type mm -hmm. of pain. I don't know how to take care of my family. I'm scared. Mm -hmm. I think that's also very closely related to pain. Um, Yet we avoid it so much, right? I, I mean. I'm just thinking as you're listing those things, I'm thinking how much time I spend avoiding, not suffering, <laughs> I mean, but actual pain, just, just pain. Yeah, well, usually pain is associated with something that is um, like an injury, right? So yeah. it, I don't think it's useful to deliberately injure your body to feel pain. Right. So we got to, we got to clear, we got to clear certain things <laughs> off the table, right? It's like, I don't want to, you know, fall off my bike and bash my head so I can experience pain. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think what you're speaking about that I can relate to is an, an aversion to it yeah. versus a meeting it where it's at. Cause pain to me is just another challenge. It's, like pain it's just a representation. Right. Yeah. It's an obstacle, right? Mm -hmm. So you can either take it head on or you can try to run away from it. You can try to escape from it. You can down a bottle of Jack every night to mm -hmm. try and escape your pain, but it doesn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So when you say I try to avoid pain, I'm not sure if you mean I'm I don't want to experience it because I because I know that it's going to suck going through it. Or you're actually just trying to protect your body, which is I think a very wise Smart. thing to do. Well, know? let me give you an example. Actually, though, I today marks the second week roughly that I've gone <laughs> five days a week for my intense physical workout. I, I had this like physical wake up call again that I had I had let myself go once more and I needed to reinvest in the gym. And honest to God. It hurts so bad. I mean, just every day I come home after this intense workout and I'm like, oh, my arms, oh, my legs. And it's just, it's not a good feeling. But what I know is that ultimately it's producing this end result that I, that I want. And I, I, th I thought about how many ex-clients I used to see who they wanted to come into therapy to feel good. But what if those mental and psychological moments were more or less presented exactly how we went to the gym? Like, this is going to hurt like hell. It's really going to stretch you. You're going to hate it afterwards. And it's going to get you where you want to go. I think you have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis. Mm. Uh, I was just actually talking to a, a young man who, who's like a brother to me that you know we, we go back and forth about things last night. And there was a period of time where I was mentoring him a bit. And... Um, he was, he was saying, yeah, you know, I, I've, I've heard how you mentor other guys, how you talk to other guys. I feel like you were taking it easy on me. 
And I said, well, there was no reason for me to beat you up because you were beating the shit out of yourself. Mm. You know, you, how, how can you help somebody heal if you're beating them down and because they're, they're and they're already doing a better job at it than, than I could. That's so good. Right. So yeah. it's, it's important. And I also, you know, I have a physical therapy background, too. So I'm very familiar with the body. So you talk about the gym. Um, one of the things a, a physical therapist friend of mine says, who she's really, really, really intelligent, she says pain is a request from the body for something different. Huh. It's a request for something different. So if you experience pain in your body, what is your body asking for? Um, so I, I would I would say, especially with that example you gave, that's a reflection of our our culture and our society. Is uh, oh my god, I let this go way too long. Now I got to catch up and get to it. <laughs> go 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 go. Right. And whereas you know, I think it's that that's a space where a little bit of that feminine energy gets to come in, some of that gentleness, because. You go to the gym like that and you can't walk around normally for three or four days that's going to throw off your gait and before you know it you have a secondary problem that could have been avoided if you just eat into it no i'm just going to keep pushing through it <laughs> yeah well and then, and then you know and and then you get what you get right that's, that's oh, totally you get what you get and as long as we accept the outcome the responsibility taking then it's all good it's like cool so you're sore but you knew that was going to happen so it's, this, this wasn't a surprise so cool great <laughs> But then don't then don't complain about it. <laughs> right. You just mentioned bringing in the feminine energy, and this is this is something interesting because you know so many men come to talk about oh how can I increase the masculine in my life, and I think that's so important. But what I heard you reflecting, and I certainly know I experience as well, is it's actually about balance, right? Is that something that you focus on in your work? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, the, the first question I ask on my show is what's the difference between a boy and a man? Yeah. And the reason I love that question still is because something about our pursuit to be the best men we can be often has us distance ourselves from the boy. Hmm. It has us put space between, ah, oh, that was the boy and here I am as the man, as though we want to, we don't want to be seen as the boy. And, you know, talking about feminine and masculine and trying to make sense of all these different words we have, I realized recently that when we say feminine, because I believe that feminine and masculine exist in all people, when we say mm. feminine, that's actually just synonymous with the boy that lives in, inside of us. Ah. The boy, because the boy is the one who's looking for safety. Yeah, The boy is looking for the one to be heard, to be understood, to be cared for. And that's the same with the feminine mm. that oftentimes is depicted in a woman looking for safety, looking for security, sometimes just needs to be told, hey, everything's going to be okay. It's the same. That's, that's what our inner child, my inner boy is often looking for. So I found that to be a, a more useful framework for discussing, you know, masculine, feminine with men, because mm. a lot of times we don't want to think of ourselves as having feminine energy. <laughs> so much of a stigma around that. But really, it's that we have this part of us that, like you said, needs to be brought into balance. If we neglect that boy, if we ignore what that boy is telling us, just like if you ignore your, your partner mm. or, or the, the feminine in your life, they're not going to let it go. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to keep they're going to keep drilling it up your ass and down your throat and trying to get your attention about something. It's so the truth. You you spoke I think recently about about growing up as a boy and you talked about being groomed to achieve excellence. And mm. there was something about that 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 struck me as with the question, was there a way you'd rather have been groomed? Hmm. No, that's my gut response is no, because that that's also given me so, so much value. Yeah. The, my, my, my ability to always, you know, aim higher, pay attention to details, 
is it has been useful in my life. It's only when I'm overexpressing those qualities that it becomes troublesome. So mm. I don't wish it away or wish otherwise. I think it's more for me, it's more a reflection of where I came from and how I became who I am mm. and why I have some of the challenges that I have in my life as an adult based on how I was raised. None of us make it out alive from childhood. We all we all come we all come out with something. There's no way. The best piece of parenting advice I got, I, I funny, I think I actually shared this with you when we were talking too. Is someone told me you're not going to be the world's first perfect dad, uh, first perfect parent. So, so give it up good. right now. And I was like, really? I was like, oh okay. And it it just completely let that go for me. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it it, it is it's it's it, it is who I, how I was raised and how I was brought up. Do I wish it to be any differently? I wish I just had some some counter to that. Even if it was just mm -hmm. someone in my life that showed me, hey, it doesn't always have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. You don't always have to try to get it all right. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, keep trying to do that. See how that goes. But here's an example of not trying to get it all right because I didn't have anybody like that in my life. And I wonder what that would have done. So many of us who have uh, grown up with that intense pressure cooker of having to be perfect have often experienced dormant anger just it's on the tip of our tongue at times is that something that you can resonate with 100 percent, man which which goes full circle all the way back to why call of the warrior hmm. why bring the haka and that medicine here to this land because i know i'm not unique and i know i'm not the only guy who walks around with wells of anger that that I've learned and conditioned myself to hold down and suppress. Yeah. Fortunately, I've learned some different strategies for dealing with that, for channeling it, directing that energy into something that's more more constructive than destructive. Mm. But absolutely, man. Um, and it, interesting, I've never I never noticed that pattern before around what you said of guys who who are people who have a streak for trying to perfect things and do it all right. Um, but it's a lot of pressure. Oh my God. There's a lot of stress, man. I, I, I had a lot of stress as a child, just anxiety over getting my homework and my projects, my reports and all of that just right. Just mm. whoo, heaps of pressure. And I was watching some of my friends that were just like, you know, I actually remember it. And it's funny. I actually, I guess I did have somebody in my life who, who reflected the opposite to me. It was mm. a buddy of mine named, named Freddie, still buddies today. And he, I remember one time he was just like, dude, care less. Mm. He's like, you care, you care too much. Why don't you just try caring less. Yeah. I was like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. Man. You're, getting, you're getting like C's and D's. He's like, just care less, man. What's a, what's a big deal. Were you able to take that to heart at all? Uh, briefly. He was, he was giving me that advice around a relationship that I was just devastated by. I was like, mm -hmm. how could this have come to an end? And he was just like, Hey man, I, I see that you're really upset, but you, you could just care less about that. Uh, you don't have to care so much. And I was like, uh, so it kind of lifted me a little bit out of that, but I had, I was like, what are you talking about? You have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and, and maybe more importantly, you have no idea who you're talking to. Maybe, maybe, but you know, it, it was, it was good. He, like, like I said before, you know, we have these characters in our lives that, mm. that are just mirrors, right. That are reflections. And um, you never know who your, who your greatest teacher is going to be. I definitely, at that point in my life, I, I wasn't ready to hear anything from a guy who, who didn't get as good a grades as me, who didn't have the college degree that I had, mm. who didn't have the job and the income that I had. And, um, so mm. definitely some elitism and who are you to tell me that type yeah. of mentality? You, you grew up with this, it takes a village to raise a child environment sort of yeah. just automatically there. And that has influenced you across the years. Have you always had male mentors or male relationships that have poured into you? 
Well, the, the quick answer is yes. I've always had men around me. I don't think mentors have to be a certain age or mm -hmm. have to necessarily have a lot more experience mm -hmm. to be a mentor. Just one step ahead, really. Some yeah, or some, some, something to teach. Yeah. You know, my, 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 I think of my son as a teacher. He's taught uh -huh. me a lot about being a father. So yeah. it depends on your definition of mentor. But, I, you know, the, the hardest time of my life was um, finishing graduate school, coming out of graduate school with uh -huh. my physical therapy degree making a good amount of money, living in New York City, minimal mm. responsibilities other than my rent and you know paying my phone bill. And at that time, I didn't have the elder men that I was looking for mm. to show me a little bit more about this is how you can live your life. This is how you can choose to be a man. So um, and that was really my greatest period of suffering. You know, that was where I was smoking weed every day, you know, for, for pretty much three years straight. I just had a constant high going on. Um, smoking cigarettes, staying out late, had a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't write all that whole era of my life off, sure. but I did identify that that was missing. And that's what, that's what inspired my move. Um, when I left New York to just, just, to just go out and travel with a backpack was mm. I had two purposes. I wanted to look for where I would settle down and have a family someday. And I wanted to find mentors. That was it. You talk about the need for men to find their place in this world is that physical like do men need to connect with the earth the soil uh i believe so yeah and then again there's plenty of people who i think go their entire lives without feeling truly connected to the earth and where they come from yeah. so does it do they need that i don't think so uh, to live a, a joyful and fulfilled life of service i don't know how you can do it without that it seems like you went searching, right? You, you mm -hmm. left grad school, you, you, you left New York and, and you come out West. What were you really searching for? I, I mean, that's why I guess I'm asking about place because it seems like you found it, but how'd you know? <laughs> how did I know? Um, <laughs> well, I, I knew I had met my future wife because of how she made me feel. I was going to say there was uh, a girl. In the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I, that's about 50% of the story, maybe 55. <laughs> give her the benefit of the majority. Uh, but no, but truly, I also um, I, I traveled through five different states mm. and many different towns along the way and different people spent a lot of time in different people's homes. And it wasn't until I found a men's circle and I was invited to go sit on my men's, mm. men's team for the first time. And I saw them doing something I'd never seen before, uh, sharing with each other, going deep, man, yeah. a, a man challenging another man to what, to what was you know, very uncomfortable for me at the time, seeing one man you know, stand up and, and guys go toe to toe and just say like, you know, fuck you, fuck you, you know, trying to help mm. a man see himself in the mirror. Um, that type of thing just was like, whoa, where, where does this come from? I didn't, wow. I've, never seen, I've never seen men do this before. Every, every, team I, every time I'd see men confront each other up to that point, it, it ended in a fight mm. or throwing blows or calling someone, you know, MRF or whatever, you know, voc vocabulary they're using, right? But to see confrontation amongst men held in a respectful, honorable way mm. um, and being willing to be edgy with each other for the sake of growth, for a different type of love. I think that's really what it was, was mm. a different type of love. That's when I knew I found my place. Wow. I was going to ask you how you first connected with men's work. It sounds like that's when and where was it? I, I'm guessing then a, an already established group. Did it, how did it function? Did it have a leader? I'm so curious. 
<laughs> uh, well, first of all, we, we do call ourselves a men's team. If if I allowed you to call it a men's group, I'd have to do a bunch of push-ups because <laughs> <laughs> we well because we're, we're very we're very very um, deliberate about what we do. We we think a group is a very loose collection of people who aren't committed to anything. Uh-huh. And a team, it's like if you don't have your shortstop show up for a game, you're you're, you're not going to win. Yeah. So so that's the distinction we make. That's just mostly for me to be funny with you. But... Is this the same group that, that you're still a part of? This is the same guys that I met, yeah, wow. seven years ago. Uh, but you asked about my first yeah. exposure to mm-hmm. men's work. I go all the way back a decade because it was when I was still in college. And uh, my buddies and, and I, we, we started, to, it was senior year of college. So I was 21. Mm. And we started to just reflect on life a little bit more. We were all into meditation. We were, we were meditating together. And we, decided, we started sitting down and having conversations, very, very philosophical conversations. And we were first we were doing it with men and women of all ages. We had these huge, we were in we were in college, right? At liberal arts school. So we would, you know, once we got started, we ended up having like 50 and 60 people there to have these meetings. And then after a few months of that, one night we were sitting around my friend's dinner table. I think we were having pizza, and it was six of us guys. And one of us said, Hey, what's really going on? Hmm. And we just looked at each other, like, what are you talking about, man? It's like, no, like what what's what's really going on for us? What's really happening? Because we are talking a lot about a lot of really great stuff in this space with other people, but what's really happening? Like, what, what are you guys really feeling? Can we have a conversation about that? Right. And so that was when it was like, oh, when we're together as men and it's a safe place and there's confidentiality, we go a level deeper. Mm-hmm. That was really my first exposure to it. And then for those first, you know, for the rest of college and those first couple of years I lived in New York with these same friends, mm-hmm. we had, um, we, we used to call them a men's meeting. Mm-hmm. And we would meet back then. I think we were meeting once every two weeks or once a month. And we were just making it up as we went really just like sharing like, Hey, this is what's going on. But when I met, um, when I found my men's team, that was when I saw guys like who, who were from a branch of the Sterling tree. I don't oh, know if you yeah. know, Justin Sterling and the Sterling Institute yeah. relationship, a branch of that tree, but had kind of gone a little bit rogue and taken it their own direction. Um, and really bringing some just, just real, simple masculine practices to that space that I was like, Whoa, Hmm. it's another league. Wow. I always get this question of how do you find men's work or men's groups? And so often it boils down to a guy taking the risk to invite you, you know, and it sounds like that's kind of what happened for you, at least with this particular group. Yeah, that's, that's how it was for me. Um, we don't advertise our men's team. We don't, we don't advertise. Not like we were on like, you know, Santa Barbara meetups. <laughs> so I think there is an element of that to it. And huh. you know, that's, that's why I, that's why you know, with, with the rising man podcast, uh, yeah. you know, once the community started growing, I saw a need for that. I saw guys listening in from remote regions of Australia mm-hmm. that said, Hey, where can I get some more of what you're talking about? Cause yeah. I want some of that. And I say, Hey, I can't circle up with you in your backyard, but we can meet online. We could do the next best thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, opportunities like that, there's, there's a number of, I think it's really just getting involved. Uh, when you see, when you see something in a man that you respect, that you, that you admire and you want some of that for yourself, ask for it. Mm. Say, Hey, where, where can I spend more time around you? Can I help you with something? Is there anything? I, I just want to be around you and soak up some of what you got. Mm. Even if it's helping a guy clean out his garage, you never know what that's going to lead to. I gotta say, I think that is so powerful, man. And I, I, I felt, and I'll use the word convicted of that recently. I, 
and I'll share that in two ways and just have you respond. I was driving with a friend and I was talking about the importance of tribe and he paused and reflected, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately and been feeling guilty, but then I realized I actually have tribe all around me in my life of men. I just don't call it that, but that's actually what I experience all the time, what you're mm-hmm. describing. It's just informal. And mm-hmm. I, I thought of that in comparison to my neighbor. My neighbor is always like inviting me to, to do stuff. He's always asking to help or sometimes even asking for my help. And I realized I've deprioritized that connection over this formal connection that I call tribe. Isn't what my neighbor doing really just trying to create authentic, organic tribe? Yeah, the, the word for me is connection. Yeah, and I think that the greatest the greatest wound that we all experience at some point is belonging, mm. and we we all want to belong to something. I think the only reason I can come up with that people do the things that they do in this world hurt people, mm. um, you know, without going into specifics, is because they don't experience a genuine, authentic connection, a sense of belonging to something bigger than themselves. Mm. They don't experience a place where people love them, and they can re- they can reciprocate the love by being of service. You know, that's, that's why our, our suicide rates are so high. Yeah. You know, they say that, you know, I think it's every eight minutes a guy is killing himself. So Jeez. how long have we been on this podcast for? You yeah. know what I mean? Like the yeah. five guys since we've been talking mm. killed themselves. So um, stuff like that, I believe is, is uh, an, a symptom of a lack of connection mm-hmm. and not experience belonging. So when you say building tribe, yeah, that's, it, it's all part of that. And, and guys who are reaching out, you never, you don't know what that guy's going through. I know. Yeah, because because that because we're not we're not instructed to wear that out out in front and right. in some respects I don't I don't think men should walk around emblazoning all of our emotions all over us every day because that's not masculine to me that's that's right. that that doesn't and that doesn't engender safety yeah right that's the opposite of masculine that's that's feminine that's that's looking for safety and security mm-hmm. but well, yeah Keep we got to have space to do both ah, right yeah. we got to have space we got to have space to do both so there's got to be a place and a space where I can express and share that. Mm. Otherwise I'm all masculine holding just masculine all the time ultimately becomes destructive. I was going to ask you, uh, and maybe this is a way of getting to that, that word purpose, but there, there's a wonderful book by Herman Hess called Siddhartha. And I don't know if you've ever read yep. it. Um, I did. Yeah. Just a great book. I, I, I perennially read this and, um, there's this one part where Siddhartha, who is, is a seeker of so many different paths, um, where he meets a man who ferries people across the river, the ferryman. And he's only ever, you know, traversed that quarter stretch of river, quarter mile stretch of river. And yet Siddhartha says that he's wiser than even the Buddha. And so I, I think that kind of creates this sense of if you had to focus on just one single part of life, from which you imagine you would see the mysteries of the universe, what would you invest yourself in? Children. Mm. And not just my children. When I, when I say, when I, when I, or even when I say my children, I'm talking about your children. Mm. I'm talking about all of our children. I think it's important that we begin to embrace this context that your children are not separate than mine. Let's, let's take responsibility for all the children of the world. If you thought of every single child as though they were your child, how would you behave? How would you show up? Would you would you behave the way you behave behind closed doors if your child was watching, hmm. or if a child you care about was watching? Would you do that? 
So um, if you ask me to reduce it to one thing, that that's the only thing I get to leave behind is the legacy and the culture that I imprint on my kids. Yeah. All of these kids, this next generation. So that's what it's all about. That That's the underlying thread for me mm. beneath everything that I do. You know, people think of me, they think, oh, men's work, initiation, rites of passage. It's like, yes, that's all in service to making sure the next generation is set up as best as they possibly can be because I'm, I'm committed to creating a, a community, a society of fathers who've been initiated into manhood, who are clear on their purpose, who have the resilience and the skill set to withstand the challenges and the rigors of life. I love that. And increasingly, I find that I'm suspicious of men's movements that are childless <laughs> and, yeah. and men's leaders. And I don't mean that, you know, disparagingly. I simply mean there is something that becomes um, very linear, both in in the forward sense, focusing on children, but also in the reverse sense, once you become a father, I feel like I understand my father and my grandfather and my great grandfather far better now that I am a father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I become yeah. far more connected to my ancestral line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that everyone needs to become a biological father mm. in order to experience that. And mm. honestly, I you know, this is like a little bit of a tangent. I don't think that everyone on this planet should be a father, given the circumstances that we're living in right now. If we, if everyone became a father right now, we would, this, we, we would put ourselves through extinction and everything else like very quickly. For more unkind but, reasons than you laid out, I also think not everyone should be a father. <laughs> yeah, well, that's 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 also part of it too. Is that not everybody's ready to be a father in this world yeah. with this with the way that we've set them up, and it's not their fault either. Sure. It's because they haven't been given what they need to be the fathers that we need them to be. Mm. But in in lieu of that, we can all take on the mantle of fathering yeah. children. Wow don't have to be a biological father to be a parent mm. be a father to to mentor to guide to share wisdom bestow wisdom because that also gives your life meaning and value and purpose mm. beyond what's right in front of you wow you yeah know? i'm thinking of this particular book um it's it's uh, i think 2000 year old wisdom book spiritual wisdom literature and it says i write to you fathers I write to you little children. And I don't think he was talking about literal little children or literal fathers, but there's mm-hmm. that responsibility, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. I think wow. there's a responsibility to father ourselves too. Mm. You know, to that you know, little boy. I, I, exactly. If we, we all have, if we all agree we have a little boy that lives inside of us, then there's at least one child that needs a father and needs you to be a father too. Good stuff, man. I have one more question, and, and, and I, was, I was sitting here thinking of this. Well, I might have a lot more questions, but this is all I'm going to be able to get to today. Um, I think you, you posted recently, or, or within recent memory, about venturing into the unknown, and that mm-hmm. there's something quintessential to manhood, to the masculine, about venturing into the unknown. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. How are you venturing into the unknown? What what's the uncharted territory for you today? <laughs> oh man, um, a few highlights. Every day of being a father and a husband is venturing into uh-huh. the unknown. It's new territory every day, man. Just when you think you've got a handle on something, something new pops up. Wow. You've been doing it longer than I have, so I'm sure you can testify to that. Um, being a being a business owner, mm. uh, being a, the, a, a leader of of a movement, of a mission, of a message. Um, venturing into figuring out how to, how to purchase land 
Mm. and become stewards of land. I wasn't raised that way. I was raised in the suburbs of New York City, man. But there's a deep <laughs> part of me that compels me to do that mm. for sake of what I envision for my life and what I want to give my kids. So I'm in the process, of, to be real transparent, I'm in the process of talking and having conversations about how we can find land, where to find land, first of all. Mm. You know, Oregon's definitely on our, on our radar. Um, but where, mm. how, when? What does it look like? What will we do with it? That's that's definitely venturing into the unknown. Wow. Um, and, and also just in a bigger context, man, I think we're all venturing into the unknown, mm-hmm. whether we want to accept it or not, of the way the world's going. Because, mm. you, know, uh, you know, anybody can give you their predictions, but it seems clear to me that in our lifetime, if we're fortunate enough to be old men one day, the world's going to look very different. Yeah. It's going to look very different. And so I have no idea what that will be. I pray that it'll be a world that we're proud of, mm. that we feel good about, that we feel connected to. And I'll, I'll fight for that every day that I'm vertical and that breath and mm. life animates my body. Yeah. And I think herein lies something that uh, I hear more and more from men who are, by definition, whether they would call themselves this or not, leaders. And that mm. is this, that whatever the reality, the storyline has to be take responsibility for your world today. Mm. We may not have created this mess. We may not have been the source or the progenitors of these problems, but we are responsible for it. Yeah. Yeah. The next president of the United States is not going to solve our problems Mm. And, and and no president or politician ever will. So if you're waiting for somebody to step up and do that, then you're wasting your time. If we're, if we're not looking for ways to influence the people directly around us, this was a quintessential existential, really existential crisis that I had back when I was 23 years old was I started to finally appreciate all of the, the challenges of this world, man, Mm. like the the heaviness of the global issues that we're facing as a people. And I wanted to, I wanted it to, to, to fix it. I wanted it to go away because I didn't want people to hurt Mm. like that. And I went through my own crisis because I was, I, I felt really powerless. I didn't even know where to begin. 23 years old, taking on the weight of the world. Like, what the fuck do you do with that? But I felt it and it was real. And I realized that the only way I can impact that is by influencing myself first mm-hmm. and then the people closest around me. And then if I get that far, then maybe my neighbors mm. and my community, and then eventually further and further circles ripples out from there. If a man is listening to this today, and I say if, because I never know. So if a man is listening. <laughs> Let's to hope this, so. Yeah, I hope so. If, if he's listening to us today and he's sitting there and he's thinking, God, I just want to get in this. Hmm. Where does he start? What, what is the, the next step for that man? <laughs> uh, I always invite a man to find, find a men's circle. Mm. whether that's an online circle. I'm not, I'm not sure what spaces you've created because we haven't checked in in a couple of months, but um, I've got an online men's circle, awesome. the Rising Man Fire Circles that I bring guys into. And um, so if, even, even if you're remote and you don't know where to begin with that, then find something online. If mm-hmm. not, then look for men that you respect in your community and ask them if they would sit down with you for an evening. Mm. Just to chat. Say, hey, I just want this to be between you and me. Let's, let's invite a couple other guys. We're just going to keep this between us. But I just wanted to share some things I'm going through. Wow. It doesn't have to be complicated either. You, know, you, don't, you don't have to know what you're doing. You don't have to have been in the work for a long time. It helps. Maybe. You know, you, you may, you, <laughs> it might. You, know, you, may, you, may be, you may find some you know, 
breakthroughs a little faster with guys who've done it before, but um, you don't need that. Don't let that, don't let that story be a barrier to you getting what you need to take care of yourself. Mm, That's such good advice, man. Tell, tell men how they can connect with you and keep tracking with your work. Yeah, for sure, man. So um, increasingly I'm showing up more on Instagram than Facebook these days, but so on Instagram at Jetty Azuma, that's just one word straight through. Um, on Facebook, just look me up, Jetty Azuma. You can send me direct messages on either, and I don't always get back within a day, but definitely within a couple of days, um, I, I hit everybody back because I like to. I like people to know that I'm really here and mm-hmm. I really care. So that's a great way to reach out to me. Um, I'll also be promoting all the stuff that I do on there. You should definitely check out the Rising Man podcast, starting with yeah. the episode that we did together. <laughs> um, that's on all yeah. the same platforms, you know, iTunes, Spotify. If you want to go to the website, it's therisingmanpodcast.com. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. You talked about those guys from Australia. I, I do. I get more guys from Australia who who come to me. They want me to coach them or whatnot. And, and they say, oh, I, I heard you on the Rising Man podcast. Oh, or, sweet. oh, I was listening to Jetty. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to tell that dude about <laughs> this. This is so cool. Right on, man. Well, yeah. you it's, are, all, it's, it's good, man. You are a celebrity in the land down under, my friend. <laughs> uh, it's it, it, That's a little bit of an odd thing, man. I still don't think of myself as such. It's kind of you to say that. But I do find that I go places now and people are, people look at me and kind of like they know me. You get that feeling they're like someone's watching me. They'll come up to me. They say, hey, are you Jetty? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I am. Uh, how do you know me? And so it's it, that's actually really cool. It's It's cool to acknowledge that, you know, there are people out there listening to what we're doing. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you get that too. That yeah. people be like, Oh yeah, man, it's awesome. Yeah. Actually that was a weird thing. I was flying home from Boston. I got routed through Boston and, uh, I, I put my earbuds in and I was like snoozing and a dude next to me, like, I would say he was like, yeah, 23, 24. I just noticed him like watching me out of the corner of my eye. And I was starting to get kind of creeped out by it. And finally he nudges me and he's like, Hey, are you Rainier Wild? And I was like, What the heck? <laughs> Do I owe you money? Because if I do, if so, then no. Like, it's so weird. He's my twin. I surrender. <laughs> that's, that's funny, man. You know, it, it, for for guys out there, just come up and introduce yourself. Seriously. Even if even if it ends up not being one of us, just say hi because it's it's way better than being creeped on like that. Just normal guys, you know. <laughs> Jetty, man, I appreciate your work. I appreciate what you do and what you're putting forward in the world. And I think you're a real person and, and just super solid. And your knowledge actually just, you know, it's so interesting hearing you on the interview side of the mic because I know that there's just so much that goes into asking questions and, and being a, a container for people to express their stories and their wisdom. But the truth is the man behind the microphone has a ton of wisdom to share. And so I'm excited to, to have that here and, um, yeah, thanks for being on Lost Man Standing. Hey, you got it, man. I I really am honored to be here. I really respect you and the body of work that you're doing too, man. We need we need more soldiers out there on the front lines. So uh, always an honor to to link arms and step into the unknown together. See you soon, man. All right, stay wild, folks. Mm-hmm.